You are listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, Episode 5, in which Daredevil enters the boxing ring with the living legend from World War II, the star-spangled Avenger himself, Captain America. Well, hello there, lovely listener. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, Episode 5. This is the Captain America episode. Here at Dave's Daredevil Podcast, I do what nobody else does. I read and talk about Daredevil comics. And as this is Episode 5, it's beginning the second month of the show, the month of December. The month of commerce, brotherly love, all that jazz. What that means is uh, Black Friday's over. I hope the damage hasn't been terrible. And please, be mindful of one another out there, please. But in this spirit of yuletide joy and brotherness and commerce, I'm going to announce something huge for this show. The show is going to do exactly what it's always done. Read Daredevil Comics, enjoy Daredevil Comics, talk about Daredevil Comics. I see no reason to change this. And with this, my friends, we will endure the holiday season, nay, the winter. I win a little Game of Thrones there. Not today. Uh, This week's episode as I mentioned, is the Captain America episode. It's an issue I pulled for the sheer fun factor. It's not what you'd call a key issue. It has some weird spots to it. I'm not going to lie. But I almost pulled out uh, Daredevil Volume 3, Issue 2, which had a Daredevil Cap fight, because that was awesome. (laughs) That fight was great, because they end up switching weapons, so you have Cap using the Billy Club, Daredevil using the Shield. But there's going to be time for Mark Waid's excellent run on Daredevil. For now, I'm going to stick to the 60s and 70s and kind of build this up, but... Like last week, this is one that it stood out for me, not just because of Captain America, but it also has a Jack Kirby cover. And Jack the King Kirby is going to come up a little bit later today because I have emails. I have feedback from episode one, which um, I am recording this right before episode two is about to come out. Uh, episode one came out. Numbers were great. Response was great. I was up at midnight uploading the XML document, toasting with a little bit of the Velvet Devil Merlot which I have a glass of, a small glass. Never podcast and drink. You end up admitting things. But I, I toasted it in uh, New Birth, as John Wilson messaged me. So the show was moving, got feedback. I'm really excited. Just a mention, please, if you would, visit the iTunes store, search out Dave's Daredevil podcast, leave a review for the show, and feel free to be honest. If it's not a five-star, don't leave five stars. Because I do take feedback into consideration, I want to hear what you really think. I'm always up for making a show better. Just don't don't go in and leave one star and not leave feedback. That's unacceptable. If you don't like the show, tell me why. Email me and tell me why. But when you leave a review, good or bad, it helps the show get noticed for those that may be looking for a Daredevil fix and just haven't found the show yet. And if you know anyone who is a Daredevil fan and they like podcasts, share a link to the show uh, to their various social media sites. Tweet it, Instagram it, Pinterest, whatever your poison is. Let people know about the show. And if you're enjoying the show, drop an email. There's always an easy-to-use submission form at the website, which is at daredevilpodcast.com. And now business is out of the way. We're talking some Captain America. Yes, this is a Daredevil show. It will always be a Daredevil show. 
But, like Johnny Carson, you let the guest have the floor a little bit. Captain America was, of course, one of the original Marvel superheroes. Before there was a Marvel. Back when the publishing company was simply known as Timely Comics. Cap made his debut punching Hitler in 1940 with Captain America Comics number 1, which bore a March 1941 cover date. The character was created by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon and partnered with the young Bucky Barnes on most of his early adventures. And the thing about the early adventures is that they were, they were monster stories, actually. Captain America fought a lot of macabre stuff. And he did so with style, I'd like to think. Uh, Captain America is actually Steve Rogers, who was a puny little guy who couldn't serve in World War II for being sickly. So he volunteered... I want to use that word in key. I'm going to come back to it later. He volunteered for the super soldier program and was granted enhanced strength, agility, and endurance. Sadly, the program couldn't be repeated as the scientist behind it was killed by Nazi spies. Man, I hate Nazis, especially Illinois Nazis. Uh, in his early adventures, as I mentioned, he was fighting monsters. And the book actually became Captain America's Weird Tales before it uh, kind of closed out. And Captain America faded away for a while. There were a few attempts to revive him. None of them were really what you'd consider successful. Uh, Avengers number four was, though. Avengers number four is where the Avengers were coming back from fighting the Hulk and Submariner and found Captain America in a block of ice. And so this man from the past came to the present, though Bucky didn't, which made Captain America Bucky sad. Cap took the Hulk's place on the team, which uh, there was a little bit of friction, a little bit of awkwardness there, but he was back, man. And, and he really, you know, he took it like, like he took charge of it is what he did. He came in like a champ. He became part of the Marvel Universe. He slid right into his own strip and tells of suspense. And he's just easily one of the pillars of the Marvel Universe, old and new. Since then, he has become kind of a public icon. He had two TV movies in the 70s with Reb Brown that are forgettable. They're amusing, but forgettable. Um, a horrible 90s movie. Really bad. So bad that it was never released on, it was almost not released on VHS, even. Uh, but it starred Matthew Salinger, who was the grandson of Catcher in the Rye, J.D. Salinger. Yeah. Luckily, this most recent decade has been much, much kinder. Um, he was the star of his own major movie, which went on to become part of The Avengers, the biggest superhero movie of all time. And then, of course, we have The Winter Soldier, which is the sequel, which will be coming our way this spring. And the trailer looks awesome um thinking about the impact in comparison to daredevil which is what i like to do not not necessarily doing apples and oranges but here's where daredevil is here are these other people who are we bringing in captain america is much more prolific merchandise wise uh, of course he had a movie he's in the public eye but i saw a captain america hoodie recently which was great because the hood had the wings and it had the mask built into it really easy great costume as yet by comparison, I have not found a masked Daredevil hoodie. Which is a shame, because that would be the moment I would finally kind of grow up and take that imagination uh, that I had last week that I was talking about playing at my perch and become Dave Devil, podcaster without fear. But there's always next year. Always next year. For now, let's take a quick podcast promo break, prepare for this week's Daredevil comic, which is Daredevil number 43, In Combat with Captain America. We're going to be right back to take a look at that, folks. It 
was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Shortbox Showcase. And we have returned to take a look at the Battle of the Living Legend with the Man Without Fear. Daredevil 43 has an August 1968 issue, which brings up an interesting topic. This issue is taking place in what I consider to be the second phase of the Marvel Age. We've had the rise of the Marvel Age, now we've hit this plateau. Titles such as Journey into Mystery became Thor. Strange Tales became Doctor Strange, Tales to Astonish Incredible Hulk, and then Tales of Suspense became Captain America. You saw Nick Fury go from being Howling Commando to S.H.I.E.L.D. operative. And characters like Captain Marvel and Silver Surfer were getting their own series. Some fresh blood in there as long-standing characters like Submariner and Iron Man were launched into their own comics as well. This, to me, is the point where Marvel was hitting stride. Legendary tales were being told in the house that Stanley and Jack Kirby built, and Kirby is relevant to this issue. Not only did he create Captain America, he provided the cover, which features Daredevil in the boxing ring with Captain America and a crowd behind them anxiously watching in the background. I'll admit that Daredevil looks pretty cool under Jack Kirby's pencils, and this is the first time Kirby's drawn the red costume in his own book. Kirby did draw it in the Fantastic Four issues, but it feels like this is a more focused Kirby, um, because Daredevil in the Fantastic Four issues looked good, but he didn't quite look Daredevil. Kirby's heavy, rigid line work does some wonders. Um, it looks great on some characters. It's an interpretation, that's for sure, because Kirby's style is unmistakable. It is unique. It is Kirby. And this looks great. It's a cover image. But to me, I can see where a Kirby-drawn Daredevil in a sequential storytelling context probably would have been interesting in terms of the leaps and the poses, but he would have looked a little bit too beefy. I like a slimmer Daredevil. Cap, however, has always looked good under the Kirby pen. Always. And it's weird to look back at, uh, you know, Captain America Comics number one and just see the evolution of Kirby's style coming into Kirby's style. And I'm going to say this with full disclosure. My earliest exposure to Captain America was from Kirby's pen, uh, mostly in the 70s run on the title with the Falcon. So to me, I mean, maybe first impressions or first impressions. Kirby's Captain America is my Captain America, much like Colin is my Daredevil. Here, Captain America looks like just a solid block of man, which is what, you know, really is what he should be. He shouldn't be Hulk-sized, but if you're sitting in a bar and you're look, thinking about picking a fight with Captain America, you should look at him and go, nah, I'm going to lose that one. Let it go. And I'm not going to diss on Kirby. I hate to do it. However, I got I to gotta register this complaint, and I hope Jack doesn't come back from the grave to beat me down. For the love of Pete, no, because Jack Kirby could scrap. 
but Captain America's free hand, to specify that's the one not obscured by the ever-present, ever-awesome shield, looks about the size of, I would say, a butterball. A relatively small butterball, so it's like he's hitting you with a butterball. Like a turkey. He looks like a turkey. Everything else on the cover is in correct proportions, but Cap hands looks just... It looks like the Everlong video from Foo Fighters. If you remember that, their hands would grow large and they would begin to slap people. That's Captain America's hand. But the background is in this white on the digital reprint and grayscale on images from the original, which gives this weird 3D effect because Cap and Daredevil are in this vibrant color and they just stand out from the rest of the image. Once again, it's like a 3D effect without without really that being the intent. I can't see that being the intent, but it definitely wanted the characters to stand out in this. But enough on the cover. Let's jump into our tale, which is entitled Combat with Captain America. Frustrated with recent developments with Karen, Matt takes to his home gym to get some of his frustration out. And no matter how hard he tries, he can't stop thinking about the incident at Nelson and Murdoch, in which Karen abruptly announced she's leaving because of her feelings for Matt. Karen accuses Matt of letting his blindness come between them, not knowing the truth that it's Matt's role as Daredevil that stops him from getting into a relationship with her. Realizing that he is the only hurting her, Matt pushes Karen away, telling her that she is just like all women and wants to own him. You can't cage this animal. He doesn't say that, but uh, yeah, you get the gist. Uh, Matt's visibly upset as Karen walks out the door and he tells Foggy that he just doesn't want to talk about it. Now let's, let's stop. <laughs> I'm going to stop right here. I want to talk about this. Because as soon as we open the book, we have this oddly moody Gene Colan page. Not in a good way. It's, it's not dark and moody. But it's character. Moody. See, the colors are all normal. Matt's simply doing a flip in the air. But the pure angst on his face immediately tells us that Matt is nursing a mammoth case of blue balls. I didn't have to read the text the first time. A man knows that look. Hey, I carried that look through most of high school. And one thing that my wife once pointed out about Daredevil is that he is a sexy superhero. He's a, he's a sexual beast. I mean, he's a strapping, good-looking guy. He works uh, works in this small office with Karen. I mean, that's got to be thick with the sex smells, you know? Um, we're not talking about the later years when he shacked up with a Black Widow or had a thing with Typhoid Mary. And maybe it's because Matt's older than Peter Parker and far more, I wouldn't say freewheeling, than Johnny Storm, but I wouldn't even say mature, but he's 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 a grown man, which is why he can carry that. And he's also financially secure-ish. So, good-looking single man. Good job. He has these sleek, acrobatic fighting skills. And this, this costume is form-fitting, without a lot of things protruding. And I mean that on both levels. <laughs> and that is what this opening page sells. Sexual tension in Murdoch's world. He has these highly developed senses, and yet he cannot use them to their, shall we say, fullest extent on the woman that he desires to make the devil with two backs with. She's just out of touch. And I know I'm speaking a bit on the physical aspects. That's not what I'm referring to per, uh, in completion. The emotional toll is made more apparent on subsequent pages, but this first page is, God, how he wants her so bad. You know, and she's always just out of reach. And I've never seen Peter Parker really throw this much lust. And I'm not saying that's what the relationship is in total, but it's just, you know, that he desires to touch her because that's how he experiences the world. That's how he experiences her beauty. That's how he experiences things is through touch and taste. So once again, I'm not speaking only of physical desire. This is somebody that perhaps in a misguided fashion 
Matt really wants to connect with and to share everything with and to be completely open. And yet he must push her away. And yes, we've seen this with Clark Kent and Lois Lane, but Clark always handled this situation with more dignity and in a more stoic manner. He never let out his frustrations on the computer modules at the Fortress of Solitude or pushed Lois as far away as Matt blatantly pushes Karen. The frustration and outright rage that he feels is apparent as Matt spends two and a half pages, two and a half pages, letting out all of that intense energy on his exercise equipment, and it even gets me balled up in a rage. I feel antsy looking at these pages. And Karen leaving was kind of abrupt. To give you some context and connective tissue between last week's issue and this issue, Matt continued to use Mike Murdoch's persona. Foggy and Karen were convinced that it was Mike who was Daredevil, until it was believed that Mike was killed. So, and I hate to say these words, to be fair to Karen, she is in an extremely emotional place and probably wants to be comforted and connect to the man that she loves. I even believe that she wants to comfort him in return. But Matt continues to be distant, as he has the jester on his plate, a villain that by all rights should be lame, but manages to give Daredevil a real challenge. At one point, the jester is even able to get the police on Daredevil's trail and just keeps the man without fear on this extended chase. I may come back to those issues at one point, just to focus on the jester, but... Matt isn't the best at the secret identity thing, which is the point of all this, and he has been moody and withdrawn, so Karen hitting that point makes sense. I actually feel for her. I think at this point she's kind of proven herself. She kept the secret that Mike was Daredevil, and you know what? I'm going to go on record as saying I think Foggy, of anybody, deserves to know the truth. He's earned it. More so. I mean, he's tenfold earned it for putting up with Matt's crap for this long. Foggy, you know, he may be the perpetual wingman, but he's also Matt's best friend. He has stuck with Matt through thick and thin, through Jack's death, through college, through working with him. Really, Matt should have grown a pair, sat down with both of them and said, look, here's the deal. I'm Daredevil. I hid it from you to protect you, and I'm sorry. Now, then again, by that token, Foggy and Karen may have been pissed that he lied to their face for this long. So it's a rock and a hard place type of situation. But Matt's decision to let her leave, well, I mean, let's call it what it is, to make her leave, may have noble intentions, but it's its a douchey way to do it. And the douchiness doesn't end there, so let's dive back into the story. Matt comes back to his workout in the present, and he just throws this huge fit and trashes his home gym, telling himself that he's a superhero. This is how he wants it to be. So, sets out his daredevil. And overhears on a loudspeaker as he's swinging by Madison Square Garden that there is a benefit for the Urban Poverty Fund in which Captain America will fight anyone who volunteers. And Daredevil thinks about what a blast it would be to tangle with Captain America, but Daredevil needs to look for the villain, the Jester, who recently and very publicly defeated Daredevil. But there's another distraction. Somebody has stolen a bag of radioactive vials from a nearby medical center. Yes, you heard that right. Daredevil goes after the thief, tracking the radiation, which gives him a burning sensation. In Not in that way. But he quickly finds his prey, clobbers him in a back alley. The exposure to the radiation, though, leaves Daredevil feeling odd. Odd enough to have a flashback to his origin. So while Matt takes a stroll back to issue one, let's kind of look at the story, what we've seen here. Continue the discussion. If Matt's exercise madness sold his mood in a clear but understated way, his bashing of his home gym hammers at home. Maybe over the top. I get that he's frustrated and hurting, but this is a lot of expensive equipment. And should a man with the abilities that he possesses be a bit more disciplined and in control of his body? 
Another way to look at this is that with strong emotions, even the most disciplined can lose control. And it's probably better to take it out on a trampoline than a random mugger. But his fit gets the story moving again and gets him out there as Daredevil. And Gene Colan sure is not disappointing me. I love the kinetic way that Daredevil travels when drawn by Colan. You can feel the weight shifting as Daredevil swings his legs upward to push a swing further. It's, it's just solid work. And I can't and won't stop gushing about it. But I will stop for the moment only to comment on Daredevil's reaction to Captain America's appearance at the Garden. Daredevil thinks it would be a blast to go up against Cap. That's great for Daredevil. He's skilled. Did anyone think about the potential insurance problems or injuries that could come from even a short fight with Captain America? Because I've seen Cap cut the head off Baron Blood with his shield. Yet he has that bad boy in the ring. The scenario that I see is some guy who gets in the ring on a dare from his friends. Cap snaps his neck with one punch by accident. But I guess, I mean, the guys next to Ken, like his mom and his cheerful wife adopted son Bobby, they would have a really great, thrilling story of when Captain America came to tell them about the guy's death. There is that. And let's let's look at the other side of the equation. What if Batrock the Leaper came in and decided to make it more interesting by full-on attacking Cap? There are a lot of potential hostages in that audience. That could end very badly. A professional athlete, like a, like a boxer or wrestler, I could kind of see. You know, somebody strong with some skills, but not super soldier strong. Definitely not somebody with a long list of villains. This is a dangerous situation, but I'm sure for somebody like Daredevil, it's right up his alley. It's certainly not for a guy like me. I can handle a fight long enough to defuse it by crying and curling up in the, in the fetal position, but that would be more going up against the barista at Starbucks. Forget it if I was facing Captain America. But we'll see that fight in a bit. I promise not to cry when ordering coffee again as well. For now, we have the convenient chase of the radium vial thief. I'm not sure why this radioactive material is in a doctor's bag. Sure, radium was used to treat cancer. I get that. There is a legitimate use, but would it have been carried around in a simple yellow bag? I mean, even then they knew about lead, right? According to Daredevil, this happens all the time. Should I be concerned? I assume that the thief thought there would be drugs in the bag, but that couldn't be said or depicted in the code approved comic. I'm reading between the lines here. And as I said, I'm glad that Daredevil let out some of his frustration, or this guy definitely would have gotten more than a solid punch to the jaw. I mean, he would have wound up with severe brain damage. Poor guy, he could have had real problems, like being punched and hit so hard and so much that whenever he hears a Beatles song, he goes into this fetal position in line at Starbucks. Oh. Well, moving on. Why don't we jump back into the tale and see what effect the radiation has had on our horned hero as we exit the flashback from his origin. After his trip down memory lane, Daredevil heads back across town by Madison Square Garden once again and hears that Cap has a volunteer in the ring with him. So Daredevil decides to give Cap a real challenge to prove what a phony he is. Hornhead rushes into the garden, swings right into the ring with Captain America, and pushes the poor schlub ready to go against Captain America out of the ring. And Daredevil goes at Cap, pretty much owning the surprise hero with a barrage of punches. Daredevil's crazy. He's just crazed. Cap gets a grip, begins blocking Daredevil's blows with his shield, and returning with some awesome blows of his own. And two have a hardcore, intense fight, and the crowd is totally into it. The fight gets more and more intense and actually leaves the ring as the two fall into the elevator shaft where both save their skins and then go right back to fighting in the lobby of Madison Square Garden. Suddenly, Daredevil starts getting a splitting headache and begins to come back to his senses a bit and realizes that he is going at Captain America like a rabid animal. Daredevil deduces that the radium he was exposed to earlier has affected his brain and sent him into a berserker rage and decides to get out of the area because explaining this would just be too hard. As Daredevil takes off, the reporters ask Cap whether Daredevil chickened out and the confused Cap covers by saying that everyone wanted a good show and Daredevil provided that. 
and the issue ends on a sad note, as Daredevil walks down a quiet back alley, thinking that in the heat of battle he was able to forget Karen, but now that he is on his own again, what will he do? So it's kind of the ultimate in weird, misguided Mortal Kombat scenarios. All that we're missing is a real wrap-up to the fight. And some cool sound effects like, get over here, finish him. But let's let's go back to the beginning of the fight and kind of run through it again. As we see Cap appearing about halfway through the issue, he's sitting in the ring, getting embarrassed as the announcer talks him up. Cap is, even after all this time, humble and likable. Even as the, let's get ready to rumble, guy. Oh, that took me out of breath. Makes him sound like he walks on water. Cap feels like he's just another dude. Cap, you aren't just another guy. You are the guy. Nice, strong, moral, and a natural leader. Cap is the alpha male of the Marvel Universe. I say that with my love of Daredevil fully intact because my fandom for both of these characters is different. With that in mind, since I get to gush about Daredevil on the weekly, let me drop upon you, my listening audience, my top five things I love about Captain America. Beginning with number five, and I mentioned this earlier in my preamble, Cap's origin bucks the Marvel trend because he volunteered to become Captain America. He knew what he was undertaking when he underwent the serum and the Vita Rays, and outright sought it out. He wanted to be a hero. Where Matt, Peter Parker, Ben Grimm, Bruce Banner, all these others were created by accidents. Cap is the most straightforward superhero in the early Marvel cast. And, and to be fair, this is because he predates Marvel Comics proper. He's from the early Timely Comics. Different vibe. But even amongst those characters, uh, Namor, the original Human Torch, Cap retains that unique quality because... They were, for example, born the way they were. So, Cap bucks the Marvel trend. Number four, the shield. A great defensive tool is turned into an awesome weapon, and Cap makes it work like gangbusters. Originally, Cap had a chevron-shaped shield, but this was deemed too similar to the Archie Comics character, The Shield, not to be confused with the Michael Chiklis show, which was awesome, by the way. But looking for inspiration to revise the design, Kirby and Simon looked back to childhood snowball fights and the usage of trash can lids to deflect the snowballs Thus, the round shield was born. So for all of us who use trash can lids to play Captain America, guilty right here. It is a full circle with the inspiration. Pun intended. There you go. Number three thing that I love about Captain America, the costume, which has gone fairly unchanged since the Golden Age, at least at its base level. Uh, yes, it's red, white, and blue, like blue raspberry Kool-Aid with candy cane coating, but it works. Even the A on the forehead and the wings, it works. He always looks awe-inspiring and stoic. Number two, Cap's charisma, charm, and natural leadership abilities. These aren't things from the Super Soldier program. This is the man beneath the costume, to kind of reference Dr. Erskine in Captain America the First Avenger. Cap is the go-to guy in any team environment because he wakes up in the morning and pisses leadership and strength. He's the real deal in every respect, with or without enhanced strength. And the number one thing that I love about Captain America, the thing that will always define him for me... Even when he's in Iron Cap armor or dead for a little while, he went toe-to-toe with Thanos. Thanos! Not just regular Thanos. No, no, no. We're talking about a godlike being in possession of the Infinity Gauntlet. A being that can erase Cap with a snap of a finger. A Thanos that beat heavy hitters like, well, basically every hero in the Marvel Universe, from Thor to Silver Surfer. And with his shield destroyed, all hope lost in the middle of space... Cap walks right up to Thanos and tells him that as long as Captain America is drawing a breath, evil like his won't be tolerated. That is one big pair of red, white, and blue testicles. That is the defining moment when I took another look at Cap and said, well, yeah, he's the alpha male. 
But let's get back on the from my gushing to the story. Let me awkwardly say that Daredevil does make an awesome entrance, swinging over the crowd. Uh, then he belts the poor guy getting in the ring with Cap without so much as an apology. And, and a poor guy, really. I'd like to imagine his name is Marcus. He sells life insurance. He's been having a rough go of it lately. His wife left him. He got passed over for a promotion. He hasn't talked to his father since that ill-fated fishing trip. And he came to the garden tonight on an ill-advised blind date with a girl named Tina. Then Daredevil totally knocks him out his butt, and the date had been going mildly well, Just it just dissipates. As Marcus loses his one chance to impress Tina, and before Marcus or Captain America even know what's happened, Daredevil just lays into Cap, landing four, count them four, solid blows, before Captain America even gets his shield up. Granted, Cap gains the upper hand by reluctantly fighting back, but this fight, despite it being bombastic, would have gone a little bit differently if Daredevil wasn't in a frothing rage from being exposed to the radiation. And let's talk about that. I don't know how to feel about the radiation reasoning. Does that mean that basically if Daredevil gets too close to certain radioactivity, he gets a mat on? So radioactive material having an odd effect on him, it's essentially red kryptonite, which is flimsy. I will give it a pass in this context because it's merely an end to a mead in the issue. And that end is huge. An out-and-out brawl coverly ends the, in a draw. So neither character is looked at as superior to the other, much like Hulk and Thor would always fight. Neither one would really win. So you never got that real answer of who's stronger. And then once once you get past that surprise, it's a really straight fight between these two. It's going to be a draw in all reality, no matter how you slice it, which I'm good with. Because these two are so evenly matched that it would just fight to the point where somebody finally gets tired and says, Look, dude, I'm cool. Let's let it go. Unfortunately, that would probably be Daredevil, since Captain America has a lot more stamina. So looking at this as an overall issue, there is... Very little relevant bits to the fight, but it's entertaining and it's cool and it's Captain America. The core of this story is Karen leaving, which manages to fuel a testosterone-laden, aggressive thunderpunch of an entertaining issue on us, and one that is simply fun. There are few things better than a comic that you can put down and you want to beat somebody up. And I mean, wait, let me rephrase that. I mean, there are a few things better than a comic that you put down and a smile because you were entertained from start to almost the end. But sorry... Speaking of the end, Matt going emo in the alley, it brought the Fight Club mood to a screeching halt. Hey, Daredevil, you just had a hardcore fight with Captain America. What are you going to do? I'm going to sob in an alley over my girlfriend leaving. Well, that's awkward. However, if you want to get your grubby paws in this little piece of action dynamite and don't want to shell out an arm and a leg, I have you covered. It was reprinted in the Essential Daredevil Volume 2, as well as Marvel Treasury Edition Number 9, and it is available on Marvel Digital and Digital Unlimited subscription service. So overall, good issue. I didn't have as much to say about it as I should. And I guess that I think I should because it was entertaining. That's it. No great turning points. No no big revelations beyond Karen leaving. So it was just a good issue. That's all. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, while I'm in the area of Marvel Digital Unlimited, I do want to make a quick reading recommendation. Um, as I mentioned, I am a subscriber to Marvel Digital Unlimited. And it's given me the opportunity to read Marvel comics that I may not have picked up before. Reason being, I have this subscription. It's all right there. I've already paid for it. I can read these things without the guilt of ordering something on eBay and feeling guilt, feeling bad about getting a lump of coal later. Um, some, one of, some of the things I've looked at are Marvel Knights 4, which was a Fantastic Four title, which was excellent. That's not the book I really want to talk about, but if you're in there, check that out too. Because as I mentioned, it's solid, really solid at times. Handful of weak issues, but the full run is in there. But the book I'm referring to that I've been reading a little bit in between episodes is Tomb of Dracula. 
which was a horror comic Marvel published in the 70s. The way it relates to Daredevil, to kind of tie it in, not only is it on Digital Unlimited next to Daredevil, but Gene the Dean Colon was the primary artist on that book, and he drew pretty much every issue. Now, the book is firmly set in the 70s and features the character of Frank Drake, who stumbles upon the titular tomb and reawakens Dracula from his slumber, bringing him to the modern age. The tone of the book was surprisingly dark for a code-approved book. Now, yes, there's some 70s goofiness in here, but that works in its favor. Because basically, in the end, it struck me as a comic book version of a Hammer horror film. I really enjoy Tomb of Dracula, I'll be honest with you. The entire series is collected, not, uh, pretty much all of it's on Unlimited, but you can also pick it up in essential form, as well as the Tomb of Dracula magazine and related 70s Marvel monster books. So, definitely worth picking up. Now, I mentioned emailing earlier in the show. I toasted in the first episode of Dave's Daredevil podcast almost a week ago with some of this Velvet Devil Merlot and watched as as it became part of the world, not expecting that I would get several emails right out of the gate. I figured this would be a snowball, but I am pleased to announce I did get several emails, an iTunes review, some comments. First of which is from Mr. W. Blaine Dowler, and it's entitled Feedback on the First Proper Podcast. And Blaine writes, Hi Dave, I just wrapped up the first episode and wanted to fill you in on some details about the behind-the-scenes creation. I largely agree with what you've said about my all-time favorite character, and I'll be listening throughout. Thank you. First of all, a lot of people don't realize that the Lev Gleason Company had a character named Daredevil running around in the Golden Age. That version was mute in his first appearance, Silver Streaks Comics number 6, but this was dropped before his second appearance. The Golden Age character was also an acrobat who fought with a boomerang, which was has a less visible influence on the first six issues of Matt Murdock. Many of those issues are available from digitalcomicsmuseum.com. When Lev Gleason Publications went out of business, Marvel's publisher assigned Stan Lee with the task of creating characters to grab some of their copyrights and trademarks while they were up for grabs, as he'd do again later in the decade with Black Widow, Captain America, etc. Bill Everett's co-creator credit is largely from this discussion. Everett and his wife both struggle with alcohol, which may be a contributing factor to their daughter's blindness. Lee liked the idea of a handicapped hero, but wasn't yet interested in writing a mute character. He'd come back to that with Black Bolt because he could still give Black Bolt dialogue through Medusa. Everett suggested the blindness based on his daughter, and the alcohol problem reared its head again during production, which is another reason the title was rushed. Everett wasn't delivering, so everyone they could find was brought in to get the title on the market and grab the name. Additionally, it is eventually established that Matt's childhood bullying was brought about in part because he was skipping grades, which helps explain why he's a 22-year-old lawyer. There's no reason to believe that Stan recognized the problem, but later writers did and fixed it. I don't remember which writer that was, to be honest. Finally, I appreciate your desire to maintain a reliable schedule. I'm doing some podcasting too, and I know how challenging that can be. My X-Files series has been recorded into the summer of 2015 at this point. If you're ever strapped and worried about missing a deadline, I'd be happy to step in for a week and cover one of the issues that you don't plan to cover. I have a complete run myself and found out about your podcast when I was trying to figure out what my first comic-centric podcast will be about. I've decided to let Bureau 42 readers decide by vote after a two-week pilot season trying five of my ideas. I shelved the read-along-with-every-issue-of-Daredevil idea when I saw your podcast coming, but I may still do a Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. series since nobody else seems to have one on iTunes. Looking forward to the rest, Blaine. Good email, Blaine. Lot of good points to tackle here. I knew about the Golden Age Daredevil a bit, and I had not found a way to mention him that was organic. But the way I discovered him was I was in a comic shop, and this character was on this cover. This guy had some old books, none of which I could afford, but it was there, and I was about 14. Seeing that threw me a bit, and somebody had to explain that this was not the same, nor directly related to Daredevil. He hung out with a group of kids, if I remember correctly. 
I know he was a part of Alex Ross's revival of Golden Age characters in Project Superpowers, but I never delved too deeply into that series. I thought about doing an April Fool's episode, to be honest with you, about that Daredevil, but really that I felt that was a little bit too far off the reservation. What I didn't know about was Bill Everett and some of the background behind his work, uh, well, personal background. Um, I, I hate to hear he had an alcohol problem. Too many good creators are failed by this, like Otto Bender who started drinking after the death of his daughter. Um, I did look up an interview with his daughter, Wendy, which you mentioned. She talked a bit about this. She was legally blind, wore corrective glasses, and she could tell who was coming down a hall by their footsteps. In the interview, she actually told some stories about the Severins hanging out with her dad at a bar, just talking ideas, and Everett had talked to her about Daredevil. And they played with ideas, such as Matt being a doctor and the blindness. So I will gladly recant and say that Daredevil was indeed co-created by Everett as he contributed the major element of what makes DD special. But I will add that Kirby also deserves a credit for his basic design. And I thought I remembered Matt skipping grades, but I couldn't and still haven't pinned down the issue where it's stated. So I left that where it laid. Um, it was what it was. And run, do not walk to a Nick Fury podcast. I love the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. idea, as long as you throw in some howling commandos now and again. I'm all about that. I did check out Blaine's site, by the way, Bureau32.com. His X-Files podcast is something that's going to be added to my player, because I'm very excited, because I do believe that the truth is out there. But you have it done through the summer of 2015. I prep ahead. But that's amazing, because my goal was to be about five episodes ahead in prep time, and then three episodes out for production, so there's always three uploaded. For me, I want the listener feedback. And if I'm too far ahead, I feel I might lose some of that. And I thought about doing email-only episodes every so often, but it feels like it should be a part of the show on a regular basis to me. But that's my take, and I'm excited to listen to your X-Files podcast. Thank you for emailing in, and when I'm ready to take a vacation, expect an email. No, seriously, expect an email. Next up is Trentus Magnus of Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. And he was the first emailer to the show, so I'm glad to have him back again. This one's simply entitled Episode 1. And Trentus writes, really enjoyed your discussion about Daredevil 1 through 6. Apart from the first issue, there's just not a whole lot to say about those early issues. Still, they do have a lot of charm into them, as you pointed out. Daredevil's swashbuckling era was all but disowned for a lot of years, but, one, it's a valid part of his history, and two, it's something that can be done well, even now in the hands of a good writer. Daredevil can be gritty noir, but he can also be a swashbuckling superhero, and I think there's a lot to be said to, for that take on the character. All in all, this was a solid first episode. I look forward to seeing what's in the future. Hope you're well, Magnus. And you said it, Trentus. I, I, you you, you kind of nailed something on the head. There's nothing wrong with the swashbuckling aspect of Daredevil. Not one bit. Now, I also like the noir aspects as well. Now, when these two can work in tandem, that is what makes good Daredevil stories. Now, I don't want to give your email short shrift, Trentus, and I'm not passing this off, but the next email addresses something similar. So I want to expound a bit on both emails. But to other listeners, go to Two True Freaks and listen to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, but not until you're done with this show. Let me get to the next email, and then I'm going to put a few things on the table. The next email is Daredevil Podcast Episode 1, with exclamation point, so it's Episode 1, by Luke Giaconetti. Dave, hey man, a podcast about Daredevil, nice timing on this show. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. I've never been a DD fan. I always thought of him, like you mentioned, on the show as a knockoff Spider-Man or Marvel's Batman. My brother had read his comic for a little bit in the 80s, but I never got into it. I didn't dislike the character, but I never really understood why he has such a rabid fan base. Saw the movie in the theater and enjoyed the heck out of it. Still do. Yes. Anytime I would talk to a DD fan, 
about what was going on with the character, they would always go on about how dark and depressing and dreary his book was and how much crap was heaped on him and how brutal and violent he was. Again, really made me think about Batman, and that didn't interest me. Whenever I would see a DD comic or talk to a DD fan, I remember a comment from Carl Kiesel in an interview from Wizard Magazine when he was taking up the reins on the book. Kiesel said, paraphrasing, that the difference between Spider-Man and Daredevil is that Spidey is a fun read when he's losing, but DD is a fun read when he's winning. Winning. He went on to explain that Spider-Man's motif was a down-on-his-luck kid who could never catch a break, but DD is an adventurous, boisterous, yes, I'm going to say it, devilish hero. And that those elements of this character had been buried over the years. Getting back to the present and why you had good timing, last week I bought my first Daredevil comic, number 32 of the current series, which guest starred a version of the Legion of Monsters by Wade and Samney. I bought it because of the Legion, but I enjoyed it. There were some details I didn't care for, but overall it was good enough that I'm going to pick up the conclusion in the next issue. And if I like that one, I might go back and check out some of the other Wade Samney stuff, which seems to embody Kiesel's spirit of DD is fun when he is winning. So, with your show, I can get a little glimpse into the Man Without Fear's history and learn more about him, right, as I am interested in learning more about him. Talk about some celestial alignment right there. Doug, the first episode, eagerly awaiting the next one. Thanks, Luke. P.S. Stiltman does have one redeeming quality. He is a common thread between the often insular fandoms for Daredevil and Iron Man. I always thought that he would make a good Toy Biz action figure, just make little modular pieces you could snap to his legs and make them taller or shorter. Some say that Luke is another two true freaks alum with his show Earth Destruction Directive. He's also the webmaster at being Carter Hall, which is a Hawkman blog, which I frequent. As mentioned, this email perfectly complements Trentus's email, so I wanted to get both of these on record to address both of them in all in one swoop. To start, the Kiesel run is one of my favorites. It's what got me back into Daredevil after losing interest in the book's direction for so long. Now, I like darker Daredevil stories. I like that you can have that range. But after a while, the edict on Daredevil seemed to be, how can we shit on Matt this month? I mean, the difference between Born Again and a lot of what came afterward was that Miller had a bit of a point to what he was doing. And he was trying something new. And after Miller became, with exceptions... More and more crap heaped on the character to the point where the heroic victory was taken out of the out of the equation. I mean, Born Again ended with the hero winning and then was followed by years of just dragging Daredevil through the muck. Now, not all of that was bad, but most of it was frustrating. And as the show goes on, I will be covering darker stuff, but I do want to continuously come back to the swashbuckling aspect fairly regularly because there's nothing wrong with a comic book being good, simple fun. And Kiesel was spot on. Putting odds against a character is a challenge. Makes for good stories. Having the odds always against the character with no hope of redemption makes for a depressing read. And stories like Fall from Grace were just hammering away at the character again and again. Now some of those, Fall from Grace being a good example, came out with some interesting developments. Again, I like Dark Daredevil. But I want some swashbuckle in there to even it out. And I do believe, I kid you not that the editorial mandate was keep trying to do what Frank Miller did because that sold. Now, thanks to that, he went from knockoff Spider-Man to red Batman, which is a joke that was made in the actual comics themselves. The book ended up going downhill because of this. It was in poor health sales-wise when Kiesel came on board, and suddenly it became like a sleeper hit with critics. And that was right up till Kiesel was abruptly dropped from the book, which was frustrating. Man, I want to have Kiesel on the show now. I'm going to see if I can make that happen at some point. Uh, anyway, I do hope, Luke, that this show will display different sides of the character and not focus exclusively on the dark or exclusively on the light. Now, right now we're in the 60s where it was a little bit lighter, but that will change. 
And I mentioned that Luke does the Hawkman blog, not only just to pimp it out because it's a good blog, but Daredevil and Hawkman are kind of similar in that it takes a special breed of writer to really nail the character and their many sides and many concepts. Mark Wade gets it. Kiesel got it. But Wade's Daredevil and Kiesel's, there was a dark, there's a dark noir to them, but it does have swashbuckling and humor. These two writers knew how to balance these out. And then you have Wade, who's just matched up with some of the best artists to draw Daredevil. You've got a winner book right there. I do hope you continue to get that book. And my recommendation is, and, and bear in mind, I'm just, this is an easy recommendation to make. Not paid, not endorsed. Just a personal recommendation. Check out Marvel Digital Unlimited. Not only can you get the old Daredevil issues, they do put out the Mark Wade issues as well. But the Mark Wade and Kiesel is definitely on the agenda down the road. As for the Stiltman action figure, I am 100% with you. That would have been a cool figure. If they didn't just do the component parts, they could have had his legs extend, like the Apocalypse figure or the Mr. Fantastic figure. To date, we only have a Minimate figure, which doesn't even have any leg accessories. He's a little bit taller, but that is kind of inexcusable. Because Minimates would be perfect. Just put an extension that goes into the peg of the, the foot, and boom, you've got Stiltman. Come on, Minimates, get it together. That's right, I'm sure many mate people are quivering as they speak. But thank you to Trentus, and thank you to Luke. Luke, let me know if any stories catch your eye or ear. And uh, I'll see if I can put a little light on those. Um, next up is a comment on the, the post for the first episode for Dave's Daredevil, Daredevil Podcast Episode 1 from Mr. Russell Bragg. He writes, hello, fine start to your new podcast, just don't overwork yourself. Like your Daredevil origin, I knew of the character bits and pieces here and there. I just never thought about pursuing it any further than that. I have watched Daredevil Incarnations on the Trial of the Incredible Hulk TV movie, various Spider-Man cartoons, and I still haven't watched the entire Ben Affleck movie. I do like the full red costume better than the yellow, but I don't hate it. I'm glad you started with these six issues to help me get started. It really helped a lot. Continued success and can't wait for episode two. Russell, let me address the overwork yourself. As I'm recording this, I've been drinking a, a little a little bit of wine. Not enough to really even get buzzed, but it's it, it, the, the, now that the wine is gone, I'm a little sad. But I, I'm taking a very relaxed approach to this show. So don't worry about that. Everything is in balance currently. Um, as far as watching the TV movie, Trial of the Incredible Hulk had an interesting take on Daredevil. It wasn't fleshed out quite enough. I don't know that the actor was the best choice, but he definitely wasn't the worst. Jonathan Reese davies was definitely not quite right for the Kingpin. And when Daredevil was on the Spider-Man cartoons, especially the 90s, he always came off a little too old and just a bit too wooden. I don't know. If you're going to watch Daredevil, the live-action Ben Affleck movie, I do want to recommend highly the director's cut. They do put plot back in. Uh, there are things... It's easier to follow. As far as the red costume versus the brown costume and yellow costume, I'm sorry, I just... I don't... I want to say I don't hate it, but I do. <laughs> I just think the brown costume looks shabby. The red costume is sleek. You get everything all at a glance because of its simplicity, just because it's red from head to toe, and that is more appealing to my eye. Um, as far as the six issues, you kind of nailed the reason I chose those. So I do hope you enjoyed those. It's a good starting point. Um, as far as episode two, by the time you hear this, you will have heard that. Hopefully I've had some feedback from you. Uh, next up is an iTunes review, which is a five-star review. Yes. Uh, once again, leave the honest review, but if it's five stars, I'm going to love you forever. Um, the title of the review is a podcast for new and old readers of DD, and it is a review by Nat Shuck which I'm pretty certain I know who this is, but either way, I appreciate it. Their review reads, Dave does a great job of recapping and interpreting older issues. 
He presents insightful nuggets of information that Daredevil historians or newer readers would appreciate. Thanks so much, Dave. And I appreciate your review. I do try to come up with interesting factoids or interesting views. The issue at hand, notwithstanding, there was some fun stuff in there, but it was really hard for me to expound upon. Uh, Don't worry, next week's episode is a little bit more thick. Uh, Speaking of, next week, we address the whole problem of Karen Page as we look at a very important event in the relationship and non-relationship of Matt and Karen, which is made a bit more complex because Matt Murdock is dead. Uh Huh? I've got your attention now. Find out what that means in seven days. And until then, remember, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is a Nat World production. The show's archives can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. To subscribe to the show, you can visit iTunes where you can leave a review, which helps the show get noticed. Or there's a handy RSS link at the website to use the podcatcher of your choice. The show is released every Sunday on all formats and emails are welcome. The address is dave at daredevilpodcast.com. While you're at it, why not friend the show on Facebook? It's easily found by searching for Dave's Daredevil Podcast or just Daredevil Podcast if you're into the whole brevity thing. The important note I'd like to make is I don't make any money off of Daredevil or any Marvel property because they are copyrighted characters that are fully owned by Marvel Comics and their parent company, Disney. I just do this to entertain, so any and all music or sound clips are for entertainment purposes only and the copyright still belongs to the copyright holder. No infringement is intended. So please, don't sue me. It's all in good fun, and it's all for the love of comics and the love of Daredevil. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Oh, what?